This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Peter Puisto. I'm the founder of Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. All right, well, we got Dan on the line. And I started thinking, I probably shouldn't have shared those pictures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys, we got Don Higgins on. Um, anything that's got to do with uh, chasing big deer, I've got my hands in it somehow, so. Well, my name's John Eberhardt. The first one that comes to mind was early in my career. I'm Scott Buckley from Iowa. Um, I had jumped him in the summer, too. He jumped up in that swamp grass down in the bottom lake. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm chasing it. There ain't nothing stopping me. Justin Hollinsworth, I'm with Whitetail Addictions and uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. So what are we talking about tonight? We're uh, we're talking about the one that got away. We talked about a deer that we didn't get it done on for some reason. Um, so uh, go ahead and get into the story of the one that got away. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear heroes with episode four, and we're talking to Dan Infault on an absolute off the wall buck on this episode. Um, Super excited for you guys to hear this story. I don't know if he's talked about it much or not, but <laughs> when we recorded this, I was kind of mind blown. Yeah, about I was the, in, I was intrigued on this one. <laughs> yeah, so really good cool. story. But uh, um, we're gonna get into the people that make this possible. Quick, we're gonna get right to the show. Um, let's start off with Exit this week. This week, what you got over there? Yeah, guys, uh, getting into kind of the November trail camera strategy. Uh, mock scrapes and real scrapes. Early November is uh, making sure that you hang your cameras off the scrapes a little. Uh, I got a couple that are about, uh, seven yards, seven to eight yards. Um, you can actually really get the whole deer Mm -hmm. in the picture there. And, um, we feel that cell cams are the best here. So you don't put any sin in that area to let that buck know that's, um, hitting that scrape that you've been there and, um, are, are going to try to hunt him down. You're not altering anything going in there. You just know what's hitting the scrape is what's hitting the scrape. I didn't alter a deer spook a deer by going in there and pulling the cam so mm-hmm. all right i'm gonna hit you with right on optics guys week five talking to you about them um, i want to cover one of their products this week it's called the one conqueror 
six by 24 by 50. This is one of their long range uh, scopes. Um, this features all the enhancements of a long range scope at a fraction of the cost. Um, this optic features 67 minutes of angle or M MOA of you know, internal adjustment. Um, it has an integrated throw level, which I really think is cool. So on a lot of scopes, you know how they have like the three to nine or six mm -hmm. to 24. It has a lever that sticks up. It's removable or not. That's a really good like half inch to catch your thumb to really move that, that quick to where you want it. I think that's a really cool added feature. Um, sometimes you got gloves on and it's really hard to roll that scope, yeah. but with this, it's, it's real easy. Um, it has a quarter inch MOA windage and elevation adjustment. It's also 100%, 100% waterproof, fogproof, and shockproof. They tested it like 1,200 Gs or something, 12,000 Gs. I don't know. I don't. I don't get into that. But <laughs> Not in the nerdy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's backed by their unlimited lifetime warranty. So if you're looking for a long range uh, scope, I think this is an awesome one. Just having something that's backed by that warranty. If you drop it, if you break it, anything, it's it's covered. So um, you can check them out at right rightonoptics.com. All right, getting into Last Breath TV. If you guys enjoy this barely above average podcast, um, the Last Breath crew also puts out their very own podcast. Um, it's called The Last Breath Huntcast, and uh, they cover a variety of topics, and uh, their specialty is the Hunterversy, where they talk about a debatable topic in the hunting industry and um, cover both sides of it, and then at the end of the day, they talk about it and... Um, Everybody kind of learns down, from yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, very cool thing that they got going on over there. If you're looking for another podcast to add to your list, that would be one I recommend. All right. I'm going to hit you with Underwarmer. So, I was trying to think, you know, when we were writing this, these ads of when I was cold, when I can remember being the coldest hunting. And uh, I remember when I first, you know, when I was first hunting and I didn't have the best gear, um, I rode to the stand on a, on a four-wheeler a lot. And by the time I got to the stand, I was bone cold before I even got out. So I was thinking, man, this would be great for wearing to the stand if you had a long ride on a four-wheeler or a side-by-side. -side. Um, there's nothing worse than being cold from the wind on the right end before you even get to hunt. You yeah. know? And that's one of the, I remember one of the hunts where I was just frozen when I was young and I had rode in with my grandpa on the side-by-side and we had rode down that gravel road and I was already smoked by the time we got in the blind, you know, and then you're sitting there and you're trying to get re-warm, but once you're cold, you're done. So if I'd have had this thing, I could have put it on at the house and had it warming up, ready to go and rode mm -hmm. through there. Um, I think it would have definitely helped me out, but you can check out them at underwarmer.com. Something we don't get to do is ride to the Santa four-wheeler, but a lot of hunters <laughs> yeah. are out there riding yeah. four-wheelers or side-by-sides side you know, side or something like that, so. Staying, talking about uh, staying warm, uh, code Whitetail Legacy can get you 20% off Black Rifle. and uh, Get just, that coffee fix, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I so, was, I was, uh, I'm going to use that code and I'm just going to buy about 50 of those, the pre-made energy drink coffees for yeah. season. Yeah. <laughs> just be able to rip those suckers. <laughs> they won't keep you warm, but they'll keep you caffeinated. And I need that during those bike rides in at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. Difference before I get caffeinated and after in the morning yeah. is nine day. Yeah, it's yeah. mind blowing. Uh, also, got a code for Badlands Gear. If you guys need a new pack or a, a bino harness, uh, some new camo. If you're tired of ripping your camo and having to buy new, um, Badlands has a lifetime warranty, and we got a discount code for you. You just got to reach out to us on uh, social media, and we can uh, direct you in the right direction. You got next level. 
yeah, next level. Guys, fall is here, and uh, the natural browse is uh, going to be diminishing with and offering less nutrition, and also uh, crops are coming out. So providing next-level products for your deer herd can help them not only fill the nutritional holes from uh, the season change, but uh, also help hold deer on your property for the duration of the season. So um, get your order in there at nextleveldeer.com. All right, guys, let's get into the show. All right, well, we got Dan on the line, kind of a spur-of-the-moment podcast. We appreciate you for making it on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we we just had a little chat. You said it's probably easier to get you a spur of the bow, and I believe it. You're you got so much going on with your content, your stand, your the podcast you go on. So, first of all, just wanted to give a huge shout out for the time that you dedicate to the hunting industry for coming on podcasts like ours, so people can you know get some knowledge and learn from you because it's definitely a full time job. Well, thanks. Well, we wanted to have you on this series because. I mean, you are the guy that gets it done no matter no matter what, and you're out there, you're having fun, you're doing the best that you can, putting in more time than anybody I know, guaranteed that. Mm-hmm. So wanted to have you on the series, the one that got away, and basically just talk about a buck that, you know, you hunted and the stars didn't align on you. Um, I'm excited to cover this topic with you because – I've listened to you on multiple podcasts, and your successes are awesome, but I know I'm going to be able to learn something from you out there struggling to try to get it done on, on a buck that didn't happen. Yeah, you know, um, people dwell so much on the successes and stuff, they don't realize that everybody that's successful has a multitude of failures. <laughs> that's what builds your success. It's failure after failure after failure until you finally succeed. Yeah, that's what stage we're in. Just fail, fail, fail. And then one glorious moment we're gonna come out shining like a beacon and they'll be like, Oh yeah, this is this is what we're supposed to be doing out here. Yeah, often the build up really makes your success feel as good as it does. What was that? I said often your failures make your success feel as good as it does. Right, exactly. That's what that's what makes the success so glorious. And I mean that's what really makes whitetail hunting so great i mean so many people uh, seem to get so upset about failing but that failure is what makes the success so much better mm-hmm. yeah that time where you're out there and you just can't figure it out can't figure it out and then you get that light bulb moment and you're like oh this is how this right. is supposed to work out <laughs> so in in your vast you know history of the bucks that you've hunted i know that you're kind of a multiple target kind of guy um, can you pick out one buck that you really, you know, tried to go in after and the stuff just didn't line out? Yeah, there, there's a couple that, uh, come to mind that are, that I struggle between the two of them telling which one, but, <laughs> um, probably the bear bait buck on uh, that's the more recent one. The bear bait. Buck. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it sounds interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That, that buck, um, I was bearding bears and it was about, uh, geez, uh, seven, eight years ago, something like that. Um, taking a guess there, maybe I'm off by a year or two. Um, but I, I had, uh, some young guys with me that were helping and we were in, uh, uh, National Forest in Clark County, uh, Wisconsin. And it's a very big wooded area. And, we were putting in a new bait and 
one of the kids ran back to the truck to get some uh, bear scents and stuff. And he comes back and he says, man, you should see the buck that walked across the logging road when I was up there. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like late May. They don't even have antlers. You know, and I says, they don't, bucks don't have antlers right now. And he goes, well, this one did. It had like, you know, just bases coming out of like Coke cans. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I kind of laughed it off until the next week when I checked the cameras at the bear baits. And here's this buck um, after the bears opened the bait, eating the bread and stuff. And genuinely, it's a giant buck, but it's just got this, you know, um, starting of antlers. So uh, I thought it was kind of funny and unique and I posted all my bear pictures, so I posted the deer pictures with it, and everybody started talking. And it was fun at first, but then this thing kept growing and growing and growing. And I started thinking, I probably shouldn't have shared those pictures. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I went along with it, and I kept sharing them since I had already started. And I watched this thing grow, and it got to the point where it was really aggressive over the bear bait. You'd, you'd see it pace back and forth around the stump um, until the bears would open it and then it would eat. And then it got to the point where it even tried to shove the top of the log off itself. Um, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it ended up growing um, that first year uh, an 18-point rack. Um, I, I think it was a three-year-old buck. I think it was a young buck with a huge rack. Um, and it was well over 200 inches which is really rare for that area of big woods. Um, so the bear hunt became a deer hunt. And at first it was kind of a struggle because, you, you, you know, um, they had just banned baiting of deer in that area. And I started thinking, well, what lines am I crossing here? <laughs> yeah. you know, what can I do? I'll what can I do? <laughs> right. Because, I mean, this thing's eating out of my bait. And, uh, you know, you make it deer proof, but as soon as the bear opens it, the deer eat it, you know, now can I hunt the, the deer at that spot? Can I, you know, can I, um, uh, close the bait and go in there? So I figured the best thing to do was just to be honest about it and call the County warden and tell him what was going on and say, what do I have to do to hunt this deer? And I did. And, uh, to my surprise, he told me that if it's a legal bear bait, I have a legal bear permit and I'm closing the bait every time I leave the bait, like illegally are required to do anyways. Um, I can shoot the deer right there if I want to. And it was, you know, it was kind of weird because I'd go in and I'd bait. And on the cameras, 15 or 20 minutes later, the buck would be at the, the uh, stump looking up the trail the way I went. And then I was thinking I, I could probably shoot this thing right here. And um, bear season opens a little earlier than deer season, so I didn't. We didn't bear hunt there. We just kept baiting it, you know, and baiting it for bears, but planning on killing that deer there. And on uh, opening day, I had the dilemma of I started double thinking things. Now, you know, this thing knows when I'm in there because it's at that date, 15, 20 minutes later after a bait so I thought well should I go down there and uh, bait for the bears and climb a tree right there and then 
you know, the wind was right for the spot at that point. It was blowing over a really thick cutover behind the bait, and the deer never went in that cutover, according to the cameras. So, um, otherwise, I could actually come through that cutover and get into a tree that's in the thick and look through an opening at the bait. And I was thinking that might be the better method. But if I failed, I did something different and the deer would probably freak out, you know? So I, uh, uh, I decided to, um, go in there, bait it like usual on opening day, the same frame time frame I did for the bearers and just take the buckets and hide them in the brush behind the tree and climb up the tree and see what happens. And that's what I did. And as I'm pulling the, the bowl up into the tree, I can hear the buck walking down the hill. Um, and he comes into sight and you couldn't see him on camera. He stayed behind some like pine trees, but I could physically see him through the holes in the pine trees and see it was him. And he got to, I say about 18 yards and he stopped behind this pine tree staring at the bait and he stared and stared and stared and all of a sudden he stomped and snorted and ran up the hill snorting. And I think it, it blew his mind that I went in there and never left. Because the wind was perfect. There's no way he got my wind. Um, so then um, then it was game on, which was more my style. <laughs> Go after him, yeah. you know. And and uh, uh, he would still hit the bear bait, but he would hit it at 9 or 10 o'clock at night after that. He never came in daylight again until the next year um, on camera at that spot um, after that um, meeting of me and him. So then I, uh, I had not really pre-scouted the area. So I had to go and use maps and stuff to figure out the area, figure out where I thought the bedding areas were going and roughly scouted. And the good thing was, is this bug did a lot of rubbing. So wherever he went, there's rub lines. There's rub lines go right up to the bear bait, up the hill to where he was bedding. Um, and it turned out later when I looked at it after, after season, I followed the rub line back and found his bed and he was literally watching me walk down and bait. That's, he was 75 yards from the bait. But, uh, anywho, after he busted me, I started looking around and, you know, you'd find his rubs, but on my camera, I had, I think I had every deer in the area on my cameras and the only other bucks were like year and a half. So maybe one, two and a half year old that were all small. So you knew if you found a big rub, it was his. Um, and I had competition. There was a guy that had a giant pile of corn and a camera over it. <laughs> and uh, I actually went over and checked his card, and he had that buck all over it. So uh, what he was doing was illegal, but that's not my job. That's a warden's job, so I just hunted around him. But uh, I went and uh, scouted and found where he was uh, bedding in some swamps around there and bedding uh, a clear cut. And I, I hunted him quite a bit, but uh, I never got eyes on him hunting again. Um, but the next year, one of my hunting partners had a bear bear permit. We put in a bear bait. And one day in August, we got a picture of him um, behind that same pine tree staring at the bait, but he never went back to it. And at that point, I think he was a four and a half where he got smart enough not to come around. And um, he left a lot of sign that year. And again, I never, I never crossed paths with him. And I think um, my greatest regret with that buck was that I didn't, uh, 
I didn't take enough time. It was a, a two and a half hour ride there from my house. And I just feel like I should have taken more time and hunted there more and taken more time off. Or, Cause I think he was very killable. I think you lived in a very small core area. Yeah. Two and a half hours one way. That's a haul. I mean, yeah. go up there and maybe camp out and stuff and try to make it happen, but drive it up there hunting and driving back. That would be brutal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's crazy, man. Bear bait. I, we don't we don't get to hunt bears here, <laughs> yeah. you know, where we're from. But I could see that, you know, deer going in there and, and eating on that stuff. But for him to be three and a half and be that big, and it's crazy that there's no other big deer in the area either. That kind of blows my mind. A bunch of small bucks yeah. and him. Yeah, there was a uh, two. The year he disappeared, a 200 incher got shot in that forest, and it was big news all around the state. So I figured they got him. Um, but a couple of years later, I, I ran across pictures of that buck, and it was definitely not the same buck. Hmm. Man, so there wasn't so another I ghost know out there. Yeah, you, I mean that that big of a timber, it's hard. We we think that all the time. Oh, we got yeah. every deer on cam around here. <laughs> we got enough cams out, and then right, right. then shotgun sh- shotgun season shows up, and we're like, where did this deer come from? <laughs> Probably been there the whole time, you know. We're just he's just skating us. Yeah. Then you're like, well, there's a 170 we had no idea existed, yeah. but uh, yeah. So you hunted this deer back to back year. That second year, did you go in there after him very much, or did it, was he just on that camera the one time and you didn't hunt him? I only got a picture of him once, but the sign was there. The bedding areas were lit up with the big rubs, and then the year after that, everything went dead, and it was all just like year and a half and two and a half year old rubs. Hmm. But there was also a, a ton of hunter pressure in the area, especially gun season. I mean, everywhere you scouted, everywhere you went, there's bullet shells laying all over the ground. And, uh, you know, that's probably why there ain't very many big bucks around there. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. You know, if that second year he got winged and just went someplace and died and wasn't found or. Ugh, that's devastating. Or, you know, because, because of being injured, didn't last through the winter or something. I don't know, but who knows? Did uh did you ever second guess anything that you did on that very first hunt for him? Uh, I know you said the oh, wind yeah, was good. Absolutely, absolutely. I wish I would have came in through the thick area and went up the tree. Yeah, because you said he was watching you come in, so he probably was watching you go out, and then went in there right. really cautious. And was like, ah, man, I'm not feeling it today. I didn't see him go out. I'm not going in there, but like you said, for him to be consistently going in there 25, 30 minutes after you leave, there's got to be some human scent still there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be, you know, even him smelling. Well, I figured you I, was, I was be. fine with ground scent. I figured I was fine with ground scent. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, you know, airborne scent. I just know that, uh, um, you, you know, the struggle within me was. You know, when you go and you do those crazy things where you try something a little different or something, um, if that deer catches you doing it, it's over. You know, but apparently it was over if you caught me doing what I thought I should do. You know, <laughs> but you think you can get away with that. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's hard to reason whether a deer can reason if you leave or not. You know, I don't know if that's for sure or not, but it sure seemed that way. He knew something was up. Yeah, I would but think. But where he was at, he could probably see me disappear at the tree I climbed. I don't think he could see me climbing because it was a nasty mess of pines. 
but I think he could see me at the base of the tree from where he was bedded. See, that's one of the things that I do with, with, uh, big boxes. I never settle with, okay, I didn't get them. It's over. The next year I'll track down and find out where he was coming from, where he was bedding and all that kind of crap, you know? Yeah. That's what we did this year. You know, we were like, okay, we didn't get him. And then we really went in there and we were like, okay, we got to figure this dude out. And then you, then that's when the stuff starts clicking. That's when you're like, oh, okay, he's back in here. Mm -hmm. And we'd thinking he's over here. So we're yeah. we're thinking we're in his bedroom and we're we're on a side street. We're not even close. <laughs> so, I think that second year I had a much better better chance because of that because I went in there in January and really scouted the area. You know. Yeah, that three and a half to four and a half. I think, like you said, there's a light switch where they're like, uh, oh, I don't know if I want to be too living on the edge anymore and he had the encounter with you, you know, and no mm-hmm. telling how many encounters during gun season with other hunters in that area. Um, but I'm sure he had encounters with, you know, squirrel hunters and all kinds of stuff bouncing around back in there. If, if there's gun casings laying all over the place. So mm-hmm. that's something we see a lot up here is you get in an area and then, you know, it's, it's public land. You can't complain at all, but people love to squirrel hunt around here. <laughs> Ton of squirrel hunters right. out there and, rabbit hunters kicking brush piles and stuff and you got to live with them not complaining at all but it definitely does educate some deer when they are three and a half and four and a half to be like okay maybe this isn't the best place to be out in the daylight but you said that that was six or seven years ago when you were hunting this deer so i know you would have kind of went in and accessed it a different way but um is there anything else that you think you might have done different since you've had another six or seven years of hunting, um, I guess, events or education um, that you would have tried to throw at this deer? I think the only thing that I would have did really majorly different is I would have put more time into them. I kind of regret not uh, really um, spending a lot of time on that deer. Yeah, I could, I, that would be a... I was just going yeah. up there for the weekends kind of thing and, you know, that's tough. And we got one that's giant like that too. And you're always on the edge. Like, do you want to waste your season hunting this deer when you know that you could kill other deer? You know, you have a better chance of killing other deer, but do you want to risk it for the reward of this giant, you know, people say once in a lifetime deer. And that's where we're kind of at too. Like how much time do you dedicate to going in there? It sounds like you regret it, so maybe we should up our <laughs> up our time because it's kind of the same thing. It's a little ways away. It's really hard to get to. It takes a lot of time to hunt, and you just have to dedicate so much time. And last mm-hmm. year we missed opportunities at other deer where we were like, okay, we're going to go hunt this, and then the mobile cam's blasting. You, know, people, you don't know if they would have been there, if you would have been there, but still you know that buck was in that area, and you, you, your second plan was let's go there. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yeah, but you're like, okay, we got to risk it on this big dude and go for it. But you, you know, the thing is, when you know, you know, when I hunt near home, I will hunt every day and hunt a deer down. You know, and I'll have interactions with them constantly, and it's because I'm hunting every day. But if you get away and you go someplace for weekends, and you get up there, you know, you know, Friday night, and then you hunt Saturday and Sunday, and you come back, when you get back up to the next week, everything's different again. Now that you go back to the bedding area, whatever it is, almost like you got to refigure them out. Mm-hmm. You know where you're on them, and you're 
constantly, you know, following him to where he's going and you're hunting all the bedding areas down when you, when you're around home, you know, you can cover a lot of area in six days of, of hunting, you know, at home versus two days on this road trip, you know, um, so it's a, it's a huge difference on, on a road trip type hunting a specific target where, and I think most people that go on road trips, you know, where they go long distance to hunt aren't hunting a specific deer. They're hunting a big deer, you know, any big deer. Um, so hunting a specific deer on the road is, is a pretty tough task. Yeah. Most people that are going to Iowa, they're just looking for the biggest buck or yeah. they're, they're traveling to Kansas or something for a weekend. They're just trying to get in the vicinity of a big one. They're not going down there that they got one picked out that they're trying to target. Right. But a buck on bear bait. I've never heard that before. That's a new one for me, yeah, but yeah. that's pretty awesome. Man. Going in there, and you're you're just thinking, oh, you know, get get on some bears, and then boom, <laughs> here's a 200 in your lap. You're thinking, okay, I got to rethink this whole so, – did you ever hunt bears there or did you just leave it for that deer? Uh, I did hunt bears there after the deer disappeared. It was a good bear spot. It's crazy that we don't have bears either. So no, we don't, yeah, but no deer idea. and bear just out there <laughs> chilling. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because I had a lot of deer in all my bear baits up there. Um, they would eat the pita bread. Um, for some reason, they really liked that pita bread. It was funny because this stuff's shaped like a disc. And I'd have pictures of them with this. It almost looks like they're playing frisbee or something <laughs> in their mouth. And uh, um, you know, you know, there'd be a ton of deer coming in there, and into some of the other baits too. But you know, not other two hundred inches. But you'd see uh, a, a pack of wolves come in and eat at the bait, leave, and ten minutes later, deer'd come in and eat. You'd think you'd think they wouldn't have anything to do with a spot that smells like wolves. Yeah, you'd think they'd be avoiding that. Like the plague, You're like this right. this dude just got a snack. He's been yeah. waiting for me to show up for the main course. <laughs> you better have seen him leave. I got pictures of that uh, giant buck in the background watching the bear eat, like he's waiting for the bear to get done. <laughs> That's crazy. I guess when you're that big, I mean, you could kind of defend yourself a little bit, but 18 points and. You had him all the way through velvet and out of velvet and everything, so that's awesome. Man. Yeah, you, you exactly. Got, you got a lot of pictures of that deer, and then that's another thing. When you start getting a lot of pictures of him, you get that emotional connection, oh, and you're yeah. like, oh, man, this deer would be really cool because <laughs> I got all this history. And start thinking about him in you your know, dreams you know, and most, stuff. Most guys get that uh, that in them when they, you, know, you, know, you get uh, a buck like that coming in You know, every day at the same time. You think, this is done. It's over. Mm. But you really underestimate the <laughs> the will to live with those bucks. I mean, they don't just come waltzing in there that easy, you know. They're coming in paranoid, and if there's any way they can bust you, they will, you know. Yeah, you'd be sitting in that stand right when you put that bait out. Your adrenaline's like through the roof because you're like, he's guaranteed <laughs> it's, it's coming. coming in. Like, <laughs> if I might not get a shot, but I'm guaranteed to see this thing on the first set. So that that right there yeah. is insane in itself. And that and that's one of the things where almost immediately I was regretting not coming through that thick stuff because I wasn't even really set up yet and I could hear that thing coming down the hill. Yeah, you know, I just got the stand up, I got in it, and I'm like pulling my bow up and you hear the thing walking in and it's like, holy crap, I got to get everything ready right now, you know? Yeah. Um, where if I came in the other way and, you know, just let them come in natural that day, then, uh, you know. However, I think part of my thinking was, you know, after I bait, he comes in, 
And once the bait's gone, because the bears eat it in a couple of days, he's not always Freaky. coming right in. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the day you bait, he comes in. He's got to so, get the freshy fresh. That was part of my reason. <laughs> what I could have did is I had other people that were baiting with me. I could have went in there, set up, and then had them come in and bait and leave. Oh, yeah, that would have been a good idea. That would have been real. You could sneak right. through the back door, have them bait, then them roll out. That that would, I think that would have worked. That deer would have been like, okay, he, you know, if he, like you said, if he can yeah, comprehend. Yeah, that's the difference of having that buck on my wall. Yeah, if he Literally. can comprehend you leaving as being gone, because he's probably seen you do it at this point, you know, at least 15, 20 times if you're in there baiting. Uh, I don't know how how often do you I mean if they're eating it every two days you got to bait that thing pretty regular I would say, but uh, yeah because of the distance we were driving I was baiting it once a week, once a week man that's and a then trip like uh, once right a before week. season the bear baits I was baiting like twice a week but uh, in this situation I just kept the the routine going. Yeah, yeah, like you said, if you would have had a guy go in there and bait that and then snuck in the back door and and set up that would have yeah. definitely. It wasn't like he was used to my scent because those guys did occasionally bait for me, and the bear, the buck would be in there right after they left too. That's something we've always <laughs> comprehended too. Like, can a deer just get used to your scent? Because we've had this button buck, and then he's a forked horn, and now he's a six pointer, <laughs> and he always comes to the same scrape tree. We've seen him like three times. I'm like, eventually, when mm-hmm. this deer's big, he's gonna be so used to our scent it's and not getting killed. He's just gonna be like, oh, I'm, I'm solid right now. <laughs> There's a bird watcher guys out here again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what we need. Yeah, you, you know, there has to be a little bit to that. I mean, think about a dog. I mean, you can take him in a crowd of 100 people, have him sniff one guy's hat, and you know, run right to that guy. Yeah. There's got to be something. smells better than a dog. Well, we'll know in about this year or next year if yeah. he's solid and he just yeah. cruises right in. We'll be like, yeah, we've been coaxing this guy for four. <laughs> That'd be the secret tip. All right, you gotta you gotta hunt these young bucks. You gotta hunt these young bucks. Yeah, on a, the off wind, you want the wind blowing right at them every time you hunt these young button bucks and forget horns, and then they just get used to you. And then when it's time to go, you're there. Right. No <laughs> issues at yeah, all. Yeah. No issues at all. He just comes cruising right in. <laughs> Oh, so what, what it, uh, so the, you never got a conclusion with this deer. You said another 200 inch deer was killed out there, but it wasn't the same one. And he just kind of disappeared, maybe got wounded during shotgun season and balled up. I mean, it's a giant timber. Or maybe somebody just killed him. That's quiet about it. I mean, sometimes some people just don't say much. Yeah, that's true too. We always wonder that, like how many just absolute legends are out there that no one's ever even seen. I got, there's a guy who lives out in the middle of nowhere and, he just has the biggest pile of sheds. He has some like 90 inch sheds, just white, just white chalk, just thrown in a pile outside of his front door. I'm like, this guy's been scooping for 30 years, probably killed giants. And no one has ever seen any of the sheds that he's got because they're all buried right outside his front door. (laughs) But, uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of bucks out there that are like that. Just, I mean, wasn't there a record book found just here recently on a skull plate that, that was just someone found, and they it was maybe their grandpa shot it, and they measured it. I think I remember hearing that story. But mm. so when when you were hunting this deer, I mean, this is kind of off the wall tactics we're using. Yeah. But did you ever use any of the stuff on another deer that this deer used? Did you ever like try to uh, have one come to a bear bait that you could try these tactics again to? Um. 
No, I did. We did have other big bucks hit hit the bear baits. Um, but the biggest one was probably like uh, close to one fifty or something, and I never really put time into them. I just, you know, uh, hunted different deer back home. Um, but uh, I mean, it, it, it's odd, you, you know, and that's one of the things where most people won't get out of their box. They can't do something different and you have to adapt. Every deer is different and stuff. You run into situations, you know, for me, it was a little bit weird hunting over a, a, a bear bait, you know, kind of thing for a deer. It was kind of just a strange feeling because it's just not my style, mm-hmm. but obviously that would kill that deer <laughs> if done correctly. <laughs> Yeah, you got to do whatever it takes. That's what we say all the yeah, time. And yeah. if you got one coming in, and with it being two and a half hours away, I could see why if you didn't have anything that really tricked your trigger that you'd be like, okay, I'm going to get rid of all these other bucks that I got locally that are just as big or bigger and go up there and try to kill one over this bear bait. But um, definitely an off-the-wall tactic I and story. I've never heard any kind of story like that. Yeah, just um, like before. just like you said, Dan. Like you got bears there, you got wolves there, and like this giant's just hanging around. You know, it's something that and maybe it happens more than than we know. It's definitely something that we have no experience with. But well, you you think about just the attitude of that deer versus other deer. His bed was literally when I looked in the in the, in the spring, I followed his rub line right to the bed. You could see where it was sitting. Where he was sitting, he was seventy five yards from that bait, watching every bear walk in there, every wolf walk in there, everything that walked into that bait, he was sitting there watching the whole time. Oh. He had a sweet spot where he's like, Man, this pita bread is fire. I cannot leave this stuff. <laughs> I gotta keep my eyes. I gotta be the first one in there after they put that fresh out. But yeah, I mean he's living around people that much and it's like I said, it's crazy. And then when those deer get a little older, it's like a light switch where they're like, okay, I lived on the edge for so. It's just like us when we get a little older. Yeah, yeah. You're running around, jumping off stuff, riding motocross, and now you're like, ah, man, maybe I should walk down these stairs <laughs> instead of jump three of them at a time. <laughs> Don't like to live as risky. The, uh, what do we, what's it? Okay, we got one more question for you. So, I know that that this was like a kind of an off the wall tactic, but you did go in there and follow this deer back and realize that he was bedding really close. Um, we were kind of trying to see if any of these deer that you weren't able to be successful on, was there any connections that you've made with other deer where you look back on this one and made like a light switch go off to where you're like, oh, this is like the bear buck bait. I need to do this tactic or I need to try this. Is there anything that ever clicked like that? Um, no, probably not because, uh, I'm so freaking old and I've been doing this for so long, but there are things that, uh, um, click like, uh, like looking at that bed, like I should have known he was sitting there, you know, it's a leeward hill, even though it's not a big one and he's got heavy cover against it. And I guess why I didn't think he would be bedding where he was, um, was because there's a logging road there, the same one I enter on, but I turned on the bait. It was just on the other side of thick stuff in that logging road. So it was literally, um, with the prevailing wind, he had the wind coming from the logging road. And he was only 15 yards off of it. And people walked on that logging road quite a bit, like squirrel hunters and stuff like you were saying. So he's sitting right next to the people walking on the logging road, watching the bait. So it didn't click with me, but it should have. Because I've seen deer do that many times. 
So it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. Did anything click for a future deer? It, some things clicked like I wasn't, you know, um, using the knowledge I should have been. I wasn't uh, realizing what was going on and looking at it. It was so obvious after the fact that I felt like I should have seen it, you know? Yeah. It's such an awkward situation that you're not used to doing. Like you're not used to hunting over this bait. So the other tactics, you're yeah, probably I mean, not... in me, I'm thinking this deer should be super scared of this bait. You should be super scared of the human, you know, influence there. And, and what I wasn't taking into account probably was this deer's attitude. This was, this wasn't the other deer, you know, he was, it's just like when you run into, you know, some giant guy that, uh, you, you know, you, you can beat him up because he's afraid of you. Yeah. But some little guy might be some, you know, monster inside who'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, this buck had an attitude, you, you know, and every deer, and especially I think when they get a little age to them, which is kind of like people, they get their own little character. You know what I mean? They, they become who they are. And I've noticed that hunting mature bucks that when you go after a deer, a deer will have, you know, his own character. And when you learn that character, you get better at hunting them. Some of them are real bold. Some of them are real shy. Some of them are outgoing with her all over the place to show up five miles down the road. And some of them never leave a little tiny spot, you know, and you just got to learn that deer. And uh, this was one of those ones that would live right underneath your nose, even though he's in the big woods, he's up near the road. He's right up by the logging road. Um, and watching you, point blank instead of getting spooked out of there you know we had an encounter like that this year we went in and hung in a new spot and it was that buck was bedded like 30 yards off the cornfield probably mm-hmm. and we we were in probably 95 100 and kind of a pinch point area and we could hear the deer coughing and at first we were like ah was that you know was that a deer coffin? And then you're like, there's no way. It's 35 yards off the main trail where people walk down right on the edge of the field. Um, but sure enough, that buck got up, went over and hit a little rub and then worked off. And we were like, in our mind, that's when it clicked. Like, that's a perfect spot. Because if the only way that he is not safe is the way we accessed, and that was on a south wind when normally that time of year, all you have is north or northwest. So he was right in the money to see someone come in and win them. So stuff like that, that's how, that's how we have to learn. We have to physically see it mess up or something. And then the stuff starts clicking in our brain. Like, okay, we need to start focusing on this more. And then that buck was bedding there. So two years down the road, if we got a deer on camera in that area, then that light bulb goes, oh, okay, there was a buck bedded there before. So I need to make sure and access this way. So I wish I had the archive of memories that you have because then it'd be, you know, it's just those years of going and logging that stuff way back deep and then you pull it out when stuff connects, so. Yeah, one other thing with that that deer that kind of clicked afterwards was uh, where that bed was off that logging road is exactly where those kids saw the buck walk across the logging road and walk into the thick cover. (laughs) They saw him walk to that bed. Wow. <laughs> and I never put that together. Just making a road map for you out there. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what our deer do, too, is just make a road map for us. But we just, they need to do it in, in Crayola crayons. <laughs> Preferably highlighter. X marks the spot. <laughs> Hit some highlighter keys to really help me out. But it's, uh, it, it'd be fun. It's, it's always, 
cool to go back after hunting a deer like that and trying to put the pieces together. And that's when stuff clicks for us. When especially after we kill them, then the stuff really starts clicking. So, well, Dan, yeah. we uh, we had we had you on here short notice, so we don't want to take up all your time. I really appreciate coming on. Definitely a unique story that you gave us, um, and uh, just really appreciate you coming on and being part of this series and letting. You know, letting the listeners know that even people that hunt every day and, you know, are in the industry doing this, they, they get stumped and have a hard time killing these bucks every now and then also. Yes, sir, no problem. Well, that was a very interesting story from the one and only Dan Infault, um, the bear bait buck coming at you off the wall. Um, a lot of our questions, I think, will coincide with some, <laughs> you know, some of these stories. Uh, but man, this one was just so out there and captivating that uh, it's hard to relate that to any other deer that you would ever hunt. Yeah, almost. And you know, that's something we're trying to do with this series is, um, like everybody's got that deer where they've always had to do something different, or um, just like Dan said in there, every deer is different. It's got a different persona and demeanor and character. So having to having listen to him um, trying to hunt a buck like that's yeah, really way out that's there. That's way out there, so, out of his element of what he's used to. So he's used to just going, bouncing around, and you know he's hustling. trying to target this one deer, and that's really not something he does a lot either. He kind of a opt, you know, opportunist. Yeah, yeah. That's thanks. Thanks for saving me right there. <laughs> But uh, we hope you guys are enjoying this series. We got a bunch more coming at you. Um, the one thing that we want to do is we want to, you know, we want to show the listeners that these big names struggle too. They're out there trying to get it done. Um, and I hope my biggest hope for this whole entire series is there's one guy out there that somehow, out of all these, a light bulb clicks inside of him, and he's like, "That's the same damn thing that my buck's doing," mm-hmm. or he's got this choice, like right now, you know, talking to Dan. Should I put more time in this buck? Dan, who's killed multiple, multiple, multiple buck, regrets not putting more time in this deer. There might be a guy on the fence right now like, should I should I roll the dice on this one deer or should I go after this other buck? You know, and maybe this will help you decide if a guy that's killed hundreds of you know, hundreds of deer is regretting not going after this one. So like always, try to do the right thing. Leave a legacy and white till legacy is out.